Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. We are here today to discuss all Americans. Uh, it's Sam, Dennis, and we are joined once again by Jessica Conger. Hello. Hi, guys. Hello, everybody. And uh, All Americans was directed by John Cullum, uh, written by Paul Brown and Donald P. Belisario. It aired on January the 17th, 1990. Our leap date is November the 6th, 1962. We're in Woodland Hills, California, and Sam has leapt into Eddie Vega. Uh, you might have recognized one of the names up there, John Cullum, who directed the episode, of course, also starred as uh, John O'Malley in Catch a Falling Star, um, our aging mm-hmm. alcoholic actor yes. with a penchant for his young co-star. Yes, that name jumped out of me. I thought that was him, but I thought maybe I'd be misremembering that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is indeed him. Um, we also get the Deborah Pratt saga cell for the first time. Yes. It is so wonderful to hear her voice. It is also wonderful to note that this is not the saga cell that we all know and love. Uh, there will be some tweaks to it. There is. I feel um, like the music underneath this one is different. The music... Rewatching it, like this one, they specifically uh, reuse some of the dramatic music from the pilot yeah. episode. So I, I, I was thinking about this last night, um, which is when I did my rewatch. I think it's when you did yours as well. Mm. Um, and I felt like this saga cell and the last saga cell with, with the gentleman's voice... Um, feel very slapped together and amateurish. They they feel poorly edited. Uh, the music doesn't work. The voiceover in the first one doesn't work. Deborah Pratt's voiceover works a lot better. It's still it's still a little overwritten. And again, I just think that the it gets better. Sure. You know what? What I thought about we didn't talk about this at all last week when we were talking about another mother is that the saga cell. Uh, puts forward a piece of the story that had never been talked about before, and that the reason why Sam leaped prematurely was that he had to or risk losing funding for the project, which kind of seems at odds with information that we learned in the first season, like Starcross and Honeymoon Express. Uh, Those couple... The stories in, in, in those episodes seem to contradict the idea that that by that by leaping prematurely, Sam has proved that that time travel works, or he was going to lose funding because obviously in Honeymoon Express, they were still struggling to try to keep funding after the fact. You know, I never took it that way. I took it more along the lines of like that's he felt like he needed to do that in order to prove that it that that the project should continue, um, but that it didn't it didn't work. Which mm-hmm. I think in a way is actually even more interesting about the whole premise of the television show is he thinks that he has to do this thing in order to prove his point and it doesn't actually work. Okay. That the yeah. government is still like, we're pulling funding on this, you know, and, and Al has to keep fighting for it to keep it going into Honeymoon Express and, you know, make sure that they're still that they're still going on. So I never really took it as like it it was it was sort of contrary. contrary yeah. 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 I always just took it as like the project was under threat of being closed. He was like, I'm going to do this to prove everybody wrong. Mm-hmm. Things went a little caca, as, as Al says. And, Absolutely. And, and, and so the government was like, no, we're shutting it down. And Al's like, you don't understand. We have to keep it going. So he, he buys some time. And then eventually we get the, the, the testimony in Honeymoon Express, which leads us to the idea that, like, 
it's going to get approved, extended for a little bit longer, and hopefully, you know, everything will turn out okay. For sure. This is a little tangent and a spoiler if you haven't got to the novel series and you're planning to get to the novel series, but in Prelude, which mm-hmm. is leading up to the first leap, as I recall, like, actually, yeah, like, the people are there to shut him down. Yeah. And, and, and Al, or not Al, Sam yeah. decides, okay, well, this is it. And it's almost like a mad scientist moment where he decides to, to step in the accelerator. It is, and my memory might be a little foggy on this, but I also think that one of the other things in, in Prelude that gets talked about is that um, they are they want Ziggy, they want the computer for the applications that they can That's use it for. Right. So yes. there's also yeah, so there's also that element of it. Uh, we just got through actually uh, recording our, our interview with Matt Dale, the author of Beyond the Mirror Image, and we talked a little bit about Prelude, and it's it, it, it's a book that again Dennis and I do plan on actually discussing the novels at some point, but the thing that's uh, really cool about Prelude is that it helps to set um, the foundation for for a lot of the the show to come, and and it really is a, a sort of a prequel prologue to Quantum Leap. We we talked about how we felt if the show were rebooted or done today, they would spend a great deal more time at Project Quantum Leap, and how in a lot of ways Prelude would really be like the pilot for a new show, if you will. Uh, it's not that. Clearly, it fits in perfectly with the Quantum Leap we all know and love, but but it is interesting to think of it in terms of being, um, you know, about the birth of the project, and, and you get more about Sam's background, you get more of the immediate prologue to Project Quantum Leap, and there's a lot more sort of government conspiracy and, and interesting stuff. So I, I highly recommend it. I think it, while it might not be the best written of the novels, it's it's probably one of the coolest in, in, in some ways. Um, but anyway, yeah, for what it's worth, it, it, it is interesting to think about those moments right before Sam jumps into the accelerator, and the saga cell gives us our first glimpse into that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Beyond, you know, Gushy standing there saying, he's leaping, he's leaping, you yes. know, in, in, the, in the, the pilot, so... Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, mm-hmm. Sam is a football player. Absolutely. What do we think of that? Uh, I don't know. Football's boring. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. Um, All right. Well, let's jump in. Let's do the, the, the TV guy description. Yeah, give as, us that TV as, as we always do, uh, uh, Sam, Scott Bakula, touches down as a high school quarterback whose goal is to prevent his best friend, a sure-handed wide receiver, from throwing the city championship game. Which, for the most part, just sounds like the most boring Quantum Leap episode ever. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, there's something about it where it's just kind of like, okay. I mean, it's very... I, I feel like you had to do this episode. Like, the football, high school football quarterback or whatever. Sure. Like, that's very... That sort of seems like a standard episode that you would think to do if you're thinking of all the different things he could leap into. A high school student. I mean, there's definitely some twists on it that I don't think are... What you would have expected. Yeah, you know, but I will say that one of the things that's interesting that you bring up the high school part of it, too, is that we never actually... It's not like we ever see him in high school. That's true. That would have been interesting if if we could have related... I was saying this to Sam. I was like, I'm kind of missing some more of Sam's personal history in these recent episodes, that I, the few that I've watched recently. That's um, funny. We were talking about that earlier, actually, But it feels like that's missing... In these episodes lately, I need more of like his life and what his past was or his future, and so it would have been cool for like if there was some sort of comparisons about you know 
whether was he in a similar position or was he a big nerd? Probably. Well, yeah. I mean, even thinking about Animal Frat, one of the things that's interesting about Animal Frat is we do get information about Sam. You know, there's there's stuff that episode feels like there's you know something about Sam. This episode kind of. It goes back to that one thing that I said about how the episode feels like it happens to Sam instead of Sam happening to the episode. And while I don't think this is a, as extreme a case of, like, Americanization of Magico, I think that there is an element of that in here. And so, yeah, Sam does feel a little bit more nebulous, uh, even though there are some nice character moments maybe between him and Al. Um, I think overall, yeah, Sam feels a little bit more like a cipher in this episode than he does in others that we've seen recently, where it feels like this is Sam Beckett, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we get a taste of that right away, which is, is kind of interesting because it's an element that I love about the episode, but it's also an element that I think plays into what I just said is that after the football game, uh, Sam slides easily into his new role, you know, as the quarterback and the friend, Chewie's friend. And you know what I mean? Like, sure. He's, he's helping bring the colas over. He's, you know, he's doling out drinks. He's eating food. He's hanging out at this party. He's, you know, he's very much kind of in, you know, the element, uh, that's provided for him. Uh, but again, it kind of makes the, the only fish out of water moment we really get in the opening scene is when he asks the girl if she wants a diet cola. And she's like, what are you talking about? For sure. You know, uh, but uh, to, but to jump in, yeah, the yeah. leap in, uh, the very most inopportune moment, mm-hmm. uh, getting, getting the hike, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, right at the start and having, uh, and having the players charge him. Yeah. Uh, and so he throws it back and then they do a pass back to him yeah. and then he has to throw it again. There's a nice moment at the beginning. Al shows up right away, which almost never happens. I was, yeah. I noted that as well. Yeah. <laughs> he's there almost yeah, from the get go. Yeah. But he's there. We have a nice hologram shot of, of Al trying to block the, 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 the people charging, <laughs> yeah. people charging Sam. And, uh, yeah. And then, Al thinks that's it. He thinks that's all that Sam yeah. is there to do. And he's like, all right. It's kind of like getting the cat out of the tree Cause, cause Chewie at catches the very beginning. The, yeah. Let's make it clear. Chewie catches the lame duck pass that yeah. Sam lobs into the air and scores the touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so Al's like, all right. That's it. And then we get the, the, the line. That pass was like a $10 hooker. It wasn't pretty, but it got the job done. We see different shades <sighs> of Al throughout the entire series. And you know what? I'm going to stop blaming Al, and I'm going to start blaming the writers. Totally. Uh, in this case, that writer was Paul Brown. Al says a lot of problematic things in this episode. He we're, does. We're, we're going to unpack that. And while and while I will preface uh, immediately by saying that I think we might be in, in ever so slight disagreement about the degrees to which Al is skeezy in this episode. Sure. It is still particularly skeezy, Al, in this episode, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and this line is just sort of like, great, that's, yeah. that's, he said that. Yeah, It's his pimp did. suspenders line yeah. for the episode. Uh, so before we get to the, the, the block party that, that you pointed out, we also have yeah. a scene where the players are coming up, they're celebrating, and this is when we're introduced to the to the ritual of roar jaguars. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and getting hit on the and shoulders. And hitting on the shoulders, and they do that after a victory. Um, one reason why I had a connection to this episode when I was younger is that I did love football. Mm-hmm. I played high school football. Okay. I loved playing high school football, even though our team was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my senior year, we were four and five. Four wins, five losses. And that's the closest that we came 
to a winning season my entire football career. Wow. Okay. Uh, but but the the camaraderie, just the game, I loved playing it. Sure. Uh, so I think when I was younger, I had much more of a connection with this episode, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of colored my view of it. Going back and rewatching the episode for the first time in over a decade, my connection with this episode wasn't as strong. Yeah. Um, but the, the ritual of the Roar Jaguars reminded me of a ritual that, that me and my buddy Jason came up with. Uh, it w- we just called it BAM, where we would just run and charge at each other and jump up in the air. And it's like in full football gear. Yeah. And just... Yeah. <laughs> Throw our throw our chest together, sure. And that was our that was our version of Roar Jaguars. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that the episode does well, I, I think, in that in that scene, sort of the post game scene that they have, real quick, uh, and then getting into the block party scene, uh, is it really helps to establish the characters and the relationships very well. There's a certain economy about it that I really appreciate. I think that that's kind of a hallmark of some of the best episodes of the series is that right within those first like five minutes you kind of you, you get a good feel for who everyone is what the relationship to the character to whoever the sam has jumped into what their relationship to him is um i think that when that gets turned on its ear and played with in a smart way that's very cool too because it, it heightens that fish out of water element that sam often goes through but it is also just really nice for the fact that we've got a 45 minute episode we're trying to tell a story it's really cool when you get an idea of like who these people are right off the bat and i think that's a testament obviously not only to the writing but to the to the acting and directing as well um and i and, and i i would believe that john cullum being an actor and having the background that he had that there's probably a lot of the early moments of this episode uh that have to do with the way that he worked with the actors, I'll bet. Um, could be wrong about that. You know, maybe he was just the guy that yelled cut at the end of the day. But, you know, there, there, there is there's something about that early characterization that I really appreciate. And it, and it reminds me kind of of, you know, when you see really good theater and, and, and you get some of those, like, secondary characters that you might not see a lot of. But right off the bat, it's like, oh, man. Like, seeing a really good production of an August Wilson play is a perfect example of that. Because often he introduces a slew of characters in the first moments of the first act. And you might not see some of those characters again until, like, the final moments of the last act of the play. But, you know, if it's done right and done well, you know right away who those people are. And not just in a stereotypical, like, this is all that character is, but they, they're fully fleshed out. They have a life. And, and you know, I think um, Eddie's dad is, is, is a good one for that. You know, you know right away who he is and, and everything. So um, I might have to disagree because I cannot for the life of me figure out the dad and the mom and the sister and the two football guys I was like who's belongs to who and who's really I just I couldn't figure out what the relationships were and I kept thinking is that the food truck guy's daughter is that the woman's daughter who's whose kid is who I just I couldn't keep it straight their relationship did not seem it was clear they had something but I just thought they were already married and were just being weird okay like when they were hugging and they were like oh it is something uh that yeah, it, it does. It does take a couple of views to to, to catch on. Um, there is kind of a I don't know if sexual tension is the right term, but some kind of romantic tension between Celia and uh, uh, Eddie's father Manuel Manuel yeah. Vega. Uh, between Celia and Mister Vega, there is a thing like like when they they cheer to touchdown mm-hmm. and they hug and it's like oh this this is weird for a moment this is weird and then they break right. You have to be paying very close attention to, to yeah. Because it's when they broke that I was like, oh, wait, are they not married? I just assumed they were up until that point. Mm-hmm. Right, well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's the way that that's done so simply. I felt like it was very, it was effective 
for me. It led me to be confused for the rest of the episode, though. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fair enough. I kept forgetting who, like, who belonged to who. It was... Sure. Yeah, the family, just it felt like they were already a family, which maybe, I guess you're saying that's... You're, you're seeing already that they have the potential, but I don't know. It didn't work for me. Okay. No, that's, that's valid, without a doubt. Fair enough. Yeah. So we you know, we start off after the football game. We we are at this uh, block party where we are introduced to to all of these uh, characters. Yes. To uh, big girls don't cry. Right. It's one of those, it has so many great songs in it. I'm very appreciative that the Blu-ray has restored those yeah, songs. I know. I know. Ron. I had that song stuck in my head all day long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there's nothing like. Maybe address it now and and just get it out of the way. And this is something that we talked about on the on the Facebook forum earlier. Is that that we are dealing with uh, the Mexican culture in this episode? A question that one of our listeners, Jeff, brought up, and he was like, "Does this episode perpetuate just generic Mexican stereotypes, or is it authentic?" Yeah. And the thing is, like, I honestly like I don't know enough about that culture to know like what in this episode. Is genuine and authentic, and right. what it, and, and and what was just lazy stereotypes. Yeah, I, what I what I what I will say is that for me watching this episode, I never there was never anything to me that came off as offensive. Now, whether or not it was stereotypical and someone would find that offensive, that's not for me to say. But I guess as as you know, as a white dude, there was nothing that I watched in this episode. In particular, for the first like third of the episode, which I appreciated, the rest of it, meh. But the first third of that episode, I never, there was never anything that stood out to me as like, wow, this was really offensive, you know? Yes, exactly. I mean, I feel like, especially for 1990 when this episode aired, not. Yeah. But uh, through a more modern 2018 sensibility, we do have more questions like, is this piece of entertainment like absolutely. Uh, accurately representing the culture, right? So I was looking at it through that lens of like, what 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 was like I said, what was stereotypical, yeah, and what was not, and like I said, well, and, and I think speaking through that lens of 1990, also though, it's really interesting to see such a diverse cast. I mean, not diverse as in like this cast itself is diverse, but diverse in the context of the show. I mean, this is this is a very you know. It, Mexican cast, you know, or, 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 or people of that background and that ethnicity. And I think, you know, to see something like that in 1990 for a show like that is, that is like this, where we get, you know, different slices of different characters and predominantly they are dominated by, you know, white characters to see this, I, I think in 1990 terms, you know, maybe this was a really interesting thing to see and, and, you know, representational of a community that didn't get put on television a lot or, or mm-hmm. whatnot. Again, in 2018, I agree. You know, maybe there is that, that, that aspect of like, of course, they're having this block party, you know, tequila is playing in the background. They're, they're speaking, you know, Spanglish at times or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, does that, is that for sure offensive and stereotypical? Yeah. And, and unfortunately the answer that I have to give is, I don't know. I don't, yeah. And, and you know, there, I mean, there's also like the introduction of the story that we're going to come to later on. Like the, like the, the crux of the episode is that Celia works in a sweatshop. Mm-hmm. They're not paying her enough. She's an illegal immigrant. She can't afford to pay the rent. She is being manipulated uh, and sexually coerced by a slumlord. And there's something that Betsy and my wife, as we were, we were watching the episode this morning, like we were talking about, like, you know, 
why do you choose to tell to tell this story of the Mexican family yeah. struggling and like the very stereotypical thing? Is that stereotypical? Is that offensive? Or is that just being true to life that a lot of illegal immigrants like this is a struggle that they do have. Right. And, you know, it's, I think it's worth noting, too, that that that, that slumlord is not like some old fat white dude or something. You know what I mean? That the slumlord is is a Hispanic man, mm-hmm. you know, who has a similar background to the rest of these people. It just so happens that he owns some properties mm-hmm. and he's also a dirtbag and a mustachioed twirling villain. As, as Matt Dale, yeah, right, yeah, points yeah. out, uh, points out in his book. I think it does put an interesting twist on the whole all American football hero because you, it isn't quite the story that when you first start that you think it's going to be. It's not just the white fratty sort of football guy. You it's know, not like, Friday Night Lights. Yeah, you know, there's this poor struggling family, and I, clearly the two of them, the the two football stars, are very well. Liked by their peers and by the girls in the class, and yeah. and so it kind of—I mean—that's I guess pretty common thing. But to put a different spin, I think, on that what you normally would imagine for that football hero, I think, was kind of a nice twist. I think that's a really great point, and I think speaking to the title of the episode, that's also a great point. The title of the episode is "All Americans." Yeah, you know, it's not something like you know. Border pass or something, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, like, uh, it, 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 like this is an American story. Yeah. Even though it's not the American story, maybe a lot of us know. Well, and let's mm-hmm. face it, there were certainly a couple of times in this episode when I thought to myself, man, that is, you know, unfortunately a fairly timely remark about, yeah. you know, about crossing the border and the struggle that it takes to come to this country. Mm-hmm. And Al has a beautiful little snippet of dialogue where he talks about how people, you know, were willing to risk this. Like, cause, um, uh, Chewie's mom, like was pregnant with him when she made her, you know, passage over to the, to the United States. And he talks about how, you know, she was willing to risk it all to come to this country. And it's just sort of like, you know, man, like that's, that's something we're fighting for, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So to backtrack, let's set up everything that we learn in this first yes. scene. So the championship game is coming up, mm-hmm. and Al says, and Ziggy says that Sam is there to keep Chewie from throwing the game. Yeah. And just from the talk that we've seen in this scene in the previous locker room, Sam can't wrap her he- Sam can't wrap his head around why Chewie would want to throw the game because he, like I said, there's one scene where, you know, Sam says later on Al, it was almost like, uh, uh, Chewie was almost about to punch Sam for just even suggesting that they couldn't beat the Bulldogs in, in, in the upcoming game. So yeah, so it's set up, it's set up right away that, yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot to move Chewie to even. And there's college scouts that are going to be at this game. And that's, and that's the thing. And that's how they're going to pay their way. Right, but that's that we're going to pay their way through college. But as far as relationship goes, uh, Manuel Vega is Eddie is Sam's father. Uh, little he has sister. a food truck. He has a food truck. Uh, little the little sister. Uh, I can't remember her name right now here, um, but she's young. Matt Dale points out in his book. I haven't really thought about. Uh, she must just be like barely over five years old or six years old because she can't see Sam or Al, which they've established in another mother. Mm-hmm. So that's right. uh, that's an interesting. Is she, wait, plot is she hole. Sam's sister or the other guy Chewie's sister? 
Uh, she is Sam. She's Eddie's little sister because Carla, right? Carla is her name. Is no, Carla is the Carla is the classmate. Okay. So, but yeah, it's Eddie's Sam's little sister because her mom died in childbirth. Henceforth, okay. henceforth, why Mister Vega is a widower. Because it seems like C- Cecilia. Celia. Celia. It seems like it was her daughter. No. That's what I was. I, I, until you yeah. said that, I, that's why part of my confusion. For sure. So yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Uh, it is Manuel's daughter. Gotcha. Mother died in childbirth. He is a widower. Widower. Yes. Uh, Manuel and Celia. These two families yes. live well, next door together. Celia and his um, wife were friends, right? Yes. They said that. Okay. Mm. Okay. Yes. Right. And we don't know who. Uh, we don't know who Chewie's father is uh, because uh, there, there was a story that that Celia had told Chewie, but the, the truth of the matter is, is like the, there never was really a relationship. Right. She got pregnant with with Chewie, and then she came across the border just a few days before he was born, so right. that he would be born an American citizen. Right. And so this is all brought out through conversation and inferences in this first block party in the first scene and Al giving the background to Sam of who these people all are to each other. It is kind of an information dump all in the first few minutes of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess the thing is, is that, yeah, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, and, and again, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like you guys agree with me, but there was something about the moments in particular from, from the relationship that's established between Chewie and, and Eddie in the locker room to Sam being in front of the food truck, you know, getting ready to get, dole out the cola and everything. There was just something that really set up that relationship very nicely. I felt like I knew who Manuel was, you know, right away. Mm-hmm. Not specifically. I had no idea that, that this was like, you know, the father and that he's interested. I'm not saying that necessarily, but there's just something about the character. It's like, I know who that person is. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I like, that's somebody I would meet in public. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I appreciate. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not about knowing somebody's name. It's not about knowing specifically that they They're, are, yeah. that, that that's somebody's father. It's that more, it's that, that more instinctual kind of like who they are as a human being and what the relationship is to that other person. Mm-hmm. It, their name and designation as a familial unit matters none. Sure. <laughs> sure. And another important uh, piece of information that we'll come back later on in the episode is that uh, Manuel has a food truck that he is open to upgrade to buy a restaurant. restaurant. There's a there's a closed restaurant that he that he's looking at. He wants to buy. He just needs to save up a little bit more money. Celia, she is unha- she doesn't like that idea because the owner of that restaurant died and she there, there's a stigma no one will come to a restaurant where a man died died yeah, yeah. I mean, and though, yeah like, like he didn't die in the restaurant right. people die right and somebody um, that makes a joke about somebody might have died in your house you know it's yeah. Just like, yeah no and you know now now that i think as i'm replaying that through my head like that's a weird conversation because manuel says people die yeah like his wife who yeah. died in childbirth right right that I could have been that a, now that i think about it that could have been a much more heavy poignant moment that they didn't that they didn't do. I'm kind of glad they didn't actually. I don't know, yeah, because it could have been like a very special moment. Right. Beach over the head episode, uh, yeah. Beach over the head with it. Again, just for me, I just think it's a nice piece of storytelling to not steer into that and to steer away from it and to let it just kind of be, because of course he knows that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, of course, like, you know, for instance, today's my mom's birthday. 
you know, and when I think about, when I think about her or when I talk about death or whatever, it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me stop, take pause and be like, well, people die. You know, it's just like, no sure. shit, people die. Like, yeah. So, so I don't know. I kind of appreciate that in a way. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, by not drawing attention to it, it mm-hmm. I think it allows us to have the conversation the way that we're having it, as opposed to being like, and then there is the special moment, as you yes. said, you know, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so we get the scene. I feel like, yeah, this scene happens before, uh, before we're introduced to Ruben, uh, there's oh, a scene. Ruben. Yeah. So there's a scene where, where Sam and Al, where they talk and Sam says, Al, like, I can't imagine, uh, why Chewie would throw the game, but let's jump back before we get to that point. There's a moment where they're standing on the porch and Al asks Sam, why aren't you out there acting my age? Yeah. And this is, and this is where like your age. Yeah. 16. I've always, I've always been, been 16 in my heart. heart. Yeah. I had all these great things going for me. And this is where we have this awkward conversation where, where Sam infers the fact that Al lost his virginity at 16 and Al gives Sam a hard time because by 16. Now we will clearly talk a little bit about the content of that conversation. But before we do that, I just want to say that as awkward as it might be, or as, 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 as icky as some of the content that is there in disgust, the way that it's played by Stockwell in particular is wonderful. It is. He has an incredible moment there where he just like, just the way he's just sort of like, oh, come on, Sam. Like, yeah. Come on. He like, splutters like, around for five minutes, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this will be interesting. He actually lost his virginity at like 25 or something kind of funny like that. And he's like, why would you, you know, give me a hard time about that, Sam? You know that I was a late bloomer, but instead he just splutters on about how offended he is that Sam would think he was 16. But he's, but the funny thing is, is he's not really that offended. He thinks it's funny. Like, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's yes. like, oh dear boy. Like, yes. <laughs> by but the time the, I was 16. But, but speaking <laughs> of well, like, like yeah. the way Stockwell plays it, like there is this thing like he gets right up in Sam's face. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that had to do with like composition of the shot and keeping everything together, blah, blah, blah. But it was like, he's just right up in Sam's face. He's like, 16. Really? Yeah. Is that what you think? Yeah. There is this uh, mischievousness, this playfulness to it. Yeah. It, it, it's just, I, I like it. I, I like it. And I appreciate what you're saying, Jess, but that's, you know, that's yeah. Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. That's not Al. That's Barney. true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, this is, uh, we were talking to, I was talking to Jessica before I first got here. This is a scene I'm 99% sure that they cut out of reruns mm. just for time. So I, I had totally forgotten about the scene. I don't think I even remember this scene at all. Yeah, I didn't remember much about this episode specifically. Like there were there were certainly like images and 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 certain bits that I definitely remembered, but but it wasn't like some episodes where I can pretty much like know exactly what comes next, where it goes sure. from here, you know, all that sort of stuff. This was not one of those episodes. This was an episode where I just kind of felt like I know I've seen it. I know a little bit about it, but I can't remember specifics, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I jotted this line down somewhere, but there is a great line in this moment where Sam asks Al, why does Chewie choose to throw the game? Yeah. And Al has this great line like, uh, like, like th- there's no data for matters of the heart. Like yeah, it's like he only knows the facts. He doesn't know what's in people's hearts or something like that. Something like that, that yeah. yeah. And I just thought, yeah, it was a very, it was a very interesting way to yeah. put it. It also calls in the question... 
how do they know that Chewie throws the game? Yeah. Because rewatching the episode, I thought what Al was going to say was Chewie is injured during the game, and because of the injury, they aren't able to win. And then later mm. in the episode, we find out that he doesn't actually hurt his leg. He chooses to, huh. to pretend his leg is hurt. Right. Yeah. To throw the game, I had forgotten that, that no, like, they know early on that Chewie decides to... I guess this is jumping forward a little bit, but... Do you, did you get the sense that he was pretending to be injured because he was throwing the game? Absolutely. Or because he wanted to, he felt like that was his way of throwing the game, kind of without actually taking blame for it. That was I, his way, I, I figured like that was his way of throwing the game without having to go through the motions of dropping pass after pass after pass. He's going to make one really great catch. And he gets injured on that, and then he's done. Because I, he, for all he knows, the other guy could be do great, and they could win. And then he's like, well, sorry. But this not. is a football game in entertainment, so we know that there are two star players, and without those two <laughs> star players, the team falls apart. Right, right. I know. It, it is, yeah. I mean, obviously, where's the defense? But anyway, one thing that I will say is I feel like the way that Chewie decides to go about throwing the game is a direct reaction to the fact that Sam is yes. there. I do not think in the original timeline that Chewie did, did any way. of the things that he does in the game that we see. He just threw it. I think he did, yeah. That's Probably in a or, way. Or, or, or in the original not. timeline, I wonder if he didn't actually just conspire with Eddie and was like, don't throw me the ball. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, I wonder if the, if originally, like, you could even go further to say that, like, Eddie and Chewie threw the game. Got it. You know, but, but Chewie takes the blame because he was the one doing it because it was, you know. For sure. Is what, we'll, we'll get into that later. Right. Uh, so let, let's back up a few steps. Yeah. In the locker room scene at the beginning of the episode, we get the one and only mirror shot of Sam. Yes. Looking in the mirror. Being a teenage kid. This is one of those episodes. There are episodes where you get, like, the one shot at the beginning like Animal Fret, right. or Another Mother, where you are constantly reminded through the episode of, of who Sam is linked into. Yeah. This is an episode I wish they would have kept coming back and showing, because it's just something like seeing Eddie, the high school kid, doing all this and having all these interactions, leading the Jane Fonda calisthenics later on in the episode. It would have been nice to have that visual reminder that this is a high school kid. When he confronts Ruben here, Later on, yeah, yes. it would have been nice to have that reminder that this is a high school kid getting up in an adult. It would be space. very easy to watch this episode and not realize, or even it felt like Sam forgot that he was leapt into somebody else. It just felt like he. I know he often doesn't take into consideration the life of the person that he's in, like what the, the, his actions will have the consequences for them. But mm-hmm. it felt like in this case, it just he wasn't necessarily trying to fit in that much, or. There was a few, like the Daiko moment, but really he just, it was normal. He was just a normal guy. It could have been, it could have just been himself, really. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think more mirror moments or more moments like the Diet Coke one would have been nice to... Yeah, I, I mean, I will say that some of the, some of the interactions that he has, like with the coach, though, are, are kind of interesting because it does, it does all of a sudden feel like he's a high schooler again. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting trend that we just see with Sam in general, where like I feel like he gets... Anytime he's faced with somebody from authority, like it's very easy for him to all of a sudden become that person. Yeah. You know, the yeah. coach was one character that at first I was like, "Oh man," but then I, yeah, like, I really loved the coach. <laughs> then I, I liked uh, some of the stuff he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's get to the scene. We've kind of talked around the scene, but we right. haven't actually talked the scene where we are introduced 
to Ruben. Well, and you know, before we, before we do that, though, let's go back real quick because we did want to discuss, and I think it's a fair enough time to just start discussing it here because, in my opinion, this is probably not only where it begins, but this might be. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But talking about Al and Sam's conversation there, where Al is very much like, you should be out there acting my age, it does introduce a potentially problematic bit of plot where because Al is so hung up on sex, as we know, throughout the history of the show, uh, Sam immediately takes it to mean, like, you think that I should be out there having sex with somebody. And while I think that, sure, that that is a fair implication of what Al says, that nothing explicitly says that Al doesn't just mean you should be out there dancing and having a good time and enjoying yourself. Ah. Counterpoint to that, there is one scene where uh, we're in the kitchen where Al talks about after the game, because Sam says, where did you disappear to after the game? Al says he went to check out the cheerleaders. The grapefruits. Yes. Yeah. And he even says a line like, there's this one little girl. He actually said the words, little girl. There was this one cool. little girl with these Whatever bulmeros. The yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and, and then we are introduced to the scene of Carla, uh, Eddie's classmate, hitting on her and, and, and showing uh, that she is very much interested in right. Eddie, Sam. So even though Al doesn't come right out and say it, yeah, it is kind of suggested that yeah he should be out there taking advantage of the fact that he's a teenage boy to. Sure. Well, and and, and again, I mean, those are excellent counterpoints. But I'm just talking about within the confines of that specific moment. There's nothing there that doesn't mean that you know go out and have a dance. The cheerleading thing and the spine on the cheerleaders. Yeah, that that he he's, should be in jail. He's probably in the locker room or something. They can't. See yes, exactly. I was waiting for him for that line to confirm it because he said that. I mean, in other episodes, he confirms that he go he goes to the lingerie Ooh. party in right. uh, Kamikaze Kid. Right. He steps into the ladies' restroom in Played Against Seymour. Yeah. No. There. There are some. There are some horrible, horrible things that he does. There's no doubt about it, and there's no other way to describe it. And again, I'm not um, blaming Al. I'm blaming the writers. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and 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 it's interesting to me because again, one of the things that we do try to do as often as we can is think about the you know the show within the context of the time that it, it was written and and within the context of the time it actually takes place and within the context of 2018. And I think that for me, it's hard to imagine. Uh, even though as a kid I never thought anything of it, it's hard for me to imagine that there would be any time when it was okay for a character to do that. You know, for, for anybody to do that. Like, if we could be invisible for a day and we went and we did that, that's wrong! So, there you have it. Yeah. And, I mean, also the context of, like, talking about, like, watching the episode as a kid and not getting it. When I watched first watch the episode as a kid, like 10, 11, 12 years old, a 16-year-old girl was much older right. than me. Just from stories I heard around the school, I mean, at least the stories I heard, I knew that 15 and 16-year-old girls in my school were sexually active right. with their with their classmates and sometimes people in their late teens, even, their, even in 20s. their early 20s yeah. in, in, in the small town that I grew up in. So those lines did not jump out as weird to me. But right. now, as a 38-year-old, going back and watching this and seeing... An older man in his sixties talk about going out and and, and and spying on sixteen year old girls or or taking advantage of your place as a as a teenage boy right. to uh, to go out and, and and be intimate with 
with with younger girls, we are in Roy Moore level territory here. Yeah, and no, no, I was saying the same thing. And I'm and I'm dancing around those words because, on one hand, I want to say go out and have sex with these girls, but you can also make the argument that the, the correct terminology is rape. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it it could have been because obviously it's there for comedy. Supposed to be funny. They're not actually advocating that he's going out there. I mean, but sure. they are in a way. But I feel like they could have gone further with Sam, who kind of does this. Like he does try to avoid that girl who's all over him because I think it he is. feels uncomfortable. There's one scene where, where yeah. he's sitting off by himself, and uh, and Chewie walks up, says, "Why are you joining the party?" And again, it, it's a thing that they do in other episodes. Like when Sam avoids a sexual encounter or, or a possible sexual encounter with someone, he does it because of his own feelings of weirdness and awkwardness. He never actually does it because morally. No, I'm a I'm a I'm a man in my late 30s in the right. body of a teenager. It's morally wrong for me to try to be intimate with and with a like teenage girl. And I feel like if he girl. would say some like a, a line or two to Al, could then make this less icky. It would still be icky that he did it, but less icky for us feeling like the writers felt like it was okay. Yeah, well, but even but like, I, we we got we got to look at it through the frame of when the show was made. Conversations like this were not. Happening it, at the time, exactly, and that's right. just what I was getting ready to say. We did not have the language in 1990 to have this type of conversation about consent and about. We just didn't have the language the same way that we do now. So I would argue that some of Sam's weirdness and awkwardness over it is because there, like, there wasn't a writer that would have been able to use the the, the language that we do now for him to say, "I can't do that because it is more." You know, I, I don't think he could have the conversation with Al. I, I would, I would certainly not argue like what we've said about Honeymoon Express, for instance, when he says, like, I'm not going to sleep with somebody I don't love. Like, again, what about the woman? Totally on, uh, on point with that. But the thing is, is that with this, maybe it's just enough that he feels awkward and weird about it and knows that it would be wrong, as opposed for him to come out and say, like, well, this is why I can't do that. Because, I, again, I think that for him to justify it for a 2018 audience, it wouldn't, it would, it wouldn't come out the same way. So, so I would say that just him feeling weird and awkward about it is, is enough. Like, he doesn't need to justify it anymore. He doesn't need to have some sort of explanation about why he can't do it. It can just be like, no, it feels wrong. Because mm-hmm. sometimes that's just the best way. Mm-hmm. You know? For sure. Yeah. So all of that being laid out. Yes. <laughs> so now we, now we get to another creep. <laughs> yeah. Now we're introduced to Ruben with this scene with him and Celia. And so what we find out is that she... Uh, I think it's a sweatshop. Like, she works at a sweatshop. She has not paid as much as she should. She is three months behind on rent. Uh, she's behind on other bills. And Ruben introduces the idea, you can pay me in other ways. And then when she tries to slide away from him and says that she will write him a check, he grabs her by the hair. We get the creepy music. And now as a punishment, not only is the rent due soon, the rent is due by noon the next day. Or he's gonna throw them out in the street. And also, very important that we haven't talked about yet, we met, we saw Ruben at the beginning of the episode, and it's well established early on. He bet significant amount of money on high school football, and we were watching this episode this morning. Betsy was like, Do people do that? They do. They, they uh, really actually yes. do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to hear about that actually, even when I was in high school, and and sometimes it was other high schoolers, not like some dude in his thirties, like you know who owns a sweatshop and and a few buildings or whatever. But yeah. I wouldn't put it past. But there, him, you know? it, like, but 
in, in high school football or, or high school sports in, in general, I guess if you're listening and, you, and you've never had that experience in high school, to your point, yeah, people, it, this just occurred to me right now, like people bet on games. I didn't hear about that directly when I, it, when I was in high school, but uh, like high school teams, like they would send a person on the coaching staff to go watch other games and take notes to, to bring back for their games. And like on a professional level, sure, you understand that, but they even did that in high school. Yeah. Like I remember my high school football coach doing a radio interview and then after the fact bragging to us that he very deliberately gave false information about his coaching strategy because he knew other coaches would be listening to that radio interview to throw them off. Yeah. It, so that kind of planning does go into without a high doubt. Schools. Yeah. And it's only gotten worse and worse. I mean, this episode takes place in 1962. I mean, you think about it in today's terms over the past, I mean, how many stories have we heard over the past 20 years in particular about, you know, some kid from high school when they're like 16 or 17 getting courted by some college and being showered with gifts and, you know, and everything else because they're thinking about the fact that this kid's going to come in and help make their program better. And in turn, the kid's thinking, if I get to go to this school, then I'm going to get an NFL contract. You know, I mean, think about it in terms of basketball. Basketball is even worse. Yeah. There are 15 and 16-year-old kids who aren't even thinking about finishing high school. They're thinking about, can I can I get out of my junior year and go straight to the NBA? Mm. You know, I mean, when you think about somebody like Kobe Bryant, for some, for instance, it's just sort of like, man, I, you know, say what you want or whatever, fine, but should we even be doing that? Yeah. You know? I remember, I mean, I was a freshman, like 14 years old, and there was a coach from another team who was talking me onto the sidelines in one game, like, like dropping hits, like trying to recruit me. To, to to his town's team. Yeah. And like even at 14 years old, I'm like, you are an hour away. Right. <laughs> Do you think my family is going to pick up and move an hour away? Yeah. For me to play football? Where do you think this conversation is going? Right, right, right. Oh, God. But anyway, Ruben bets on high school football. Yes. Um, so Chewy and Sam, they come, they come into this scene and, and even talking about it, like Ruben tells them, like, yeah, he bets on the game. Hey, if you know any inside information, anybody gets hurt in practice, let me know. Sam objects. You know, why would he do that? We can't do that. We have scouts looking at us. We could get disqualified. And Ruben's like, well, I'm not going to tell him. Right. You? <laughs> Which I don't think we have spent enough time talking about how creepy Ruben looks. Because yeah. I feel like that guy had no choice but to be a villain. Because he just looks so damn creepy. He's got that terrible, terrible mustache. Yep. The the hair slicked back. He's got, like, the bug eyes. And, like, that poor guy had no choice but to be every stereotypical villain in the book. Because he jumps all over the place from what he wants and what his... I, it was hard to tell, like, is he motivated by, you know, trying to get sex? Is he motivated by money? Does he just want to be a bastard? Like, it, he just he he was everything and just evil and creepy and yeah, and even really the, intense mustache. I, no, but I agree with that too because even the way he goes from all of a sudden like propositioning Celia for sex in order to pay rent to then all of a sudden just being like, you know, you're going to pay me my money and you're going to pay it to me tomorrow and, and it doesn't necessarily seem like it's motivated by the fact that she's you know, trying to fight him off and doesn't want to kiss him or whatever. It, it does just seem like he just, yeah, he just... It kind of seemed like the money really was what he yeah, mostly wanted. Yeah, but. and he just, which, I mean, clearly he's, it seems like he is sort of addicted to the gambling and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, 
it's not only is he a bad guy, I mean, frankly, I think he's a bad character. I don't think, like, his motivations come from nowhere other than, like, these are bad things that people do. Yeah. You know, there's nothing else about him whatsoever. He's a slumlord who wants money and or sex. Yeah. And it's like, not that that doesn't exist, but it's just kind of like, okay, here's your, here's your bad guy to fight against. Yeah. But he's not really because he might motivate Chewie to throw the game, but Chewie's the one that's actually doing the thing that Sam has to stop. I don't know. Yeah, like, why, why wouldn't it be, like, get the money somehow, or, I don't know, murder that guy or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Rip uh, off his muscles. That's a season four episode. No. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, we do get this great moment that, as this scene progresses, like, Sam's Spidey sense starts tingling, and he right. figures out that... that Ruben and and what his motivations are are the crux of why he's here. And I think this is the the one and only voiceover we get in the episode where where Sam says like yeah basically I, I got this feeling in my gut and I got to act on it. And so he confronts Ruben and basically says stay away from stay away from Celia stay away from Chewie just just stay away. Yeah. And this is a great moment. I wish. I mean, it's hard. Like we're you know we're you know we're just on a street in a car and whatever. So it's hard to find a reflective surface maybe. This would have been a great moment to be reminded that this is a high school kid. Right. Confronting him. Ruben does make that comment like, oh, you've grown up a lot. Yeah. He actually seems impressed. But then it just made me feel more like he was looking at Sam than Mm -hmm. this high school kid. Because he he did feel a little, like, impressed and threatened by him versus, like, all right, buddy. You know. Yeah. Well, and I even even noted that... um, his initial confrontation with Ruben is really great, and and there's something about the way that you know watching Sam figure out you know what is going on, like you were saying, and 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 just the process of like getting from point A to point B, and then being like, you know what, I'm going to stop this right now, and it's just it is a really nice moment for Sam. It's it's well done by Scott Bakula. I think that it's it's it 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 might be my favorite moment of the episode, um, just because it's. It, I feel like it works so well for Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a whole other bo- a lot of moments to like about the episode. I mean, sure, the Jane Fonda workout, which we'll get to. But, sure, yeah. You know, and I think we're, anyway. we're there. We're coming up on it uh, We are, right actually, now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're at practice. Yeah. So, uh, Chewie comes up and says, <laughs> says, Coach wants Eddie to lead calisthenics, and if he screws it up, it's... 15 laps. 15 laps. By the way, I mean, I have the feeling that most high school tracks are pretty standard sized. Right. 15 laps is a mile and three quarters. That's pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. So, the the whole idea of calisthenics, and uh, I think Al throws out the idea of Jane Fonda. Like, he, he just, like, offhandedly makes a Jane Fonda comment. He, yeah, he doesn't actually give Sam the idea, but he does say something about Jane Fonda. Fonda yeah, and so that, he walks over to Carla. He's talking about the cheerleaders or making some creepy comment. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. This scene starts off with the cheerleaders practicing, and Al just, like, dancing along and leering at them and, yeah. and you know Sam comes in like of course he's got the playbook and he's like trying to learn all the plays and I was like why are you looking at the playbook why aren't you looking right. at the girls? Right. girls yeah but then Sam yeah comes back over to Carla gives her <laughs> which which let's just take a quick second to talk about how funny it is that Sam of course is studying like <laughs> yeah like, like he's you know there's like that's what he needs to do he's got to study these plays you know and it's just mm-hmm. like of course of course he does because that's who Sam is absolutely um, yeah so yeah, but 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 then he does. He goes to Carla and and tells her to play the record. She and puts why, on, why would he have that particular record like in his? 
Well, I think she. I think they had a stack of yeah, records. Yeah, she's got a stack of oh, records. Oh, gotcha. And okay. so, and so he picked places. that one out. Okay. So he's going through, and that's the one that he chooses. That makes way more sense. Now, it, it, of course, we could probably spend time talking about the fact that La Bamba is the song that he gets, you know, that gets chosen, and it's like, do we, you know, is that... Is there something wrong with that? Is there not? Is there, you know, is it, well, of course well, they're going to listen to that. Well, we're watching it this morning with Betsy. Like, Tequila and La Bama, the two Mexican songs that we know. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, let's face it. I mean, the song is, it, 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 like, there's no denying the impact that, that song has had, um, you know, within popular consciousness. And I think that, you know, Richie Valens is an interesting figure um, to even kind of touch on and the idea that, um, you know, he was someone of prominence in, in, at the birth of rock and roll and, and was an extremely talented individual and, um, you know, was there the, the night the music died along with Buddy Holly and, and the Big Bopper. And I think that, you know, that his story in particular is interesting. I mean, hell, they've made movies about it. And, you know, I, I think that it, it's probably worth noting that someone of his background to rise to the prominence that he did in the short time that he was around and the fact that he's still kind of in our consciousness, is, it, it says something. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't, not very articulately in that particular moment, but... Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Important note, yeah, La Bamba was released by Richie Valens in October of 1958. Yeah. So the song's about four years old. At this time, yeah. At, at this point, yeah. Yeah, and it would have been fe- February of 59 when he died. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, there's a lot to unpack on that. Anyway, there is a lot to unpack I, on that. I was driving to work the other day, and uh, the, the song of the day the music died was on. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so Sam starts to lead calisthenics, and the team is reluctant at first, but then they get into it. And then the coach shows up. 15 laps. Yeah. I have some serious issues. Like, you're coming up on the championship game. (laughs) This is obviously a very important practice. Right. You are going to waste your star quarterback on running 15 laps. No, you're not. No. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a funny gag, but no. <laughs> right. Well, then he eventually ends up giving him 30 more. Yeah. And it's also funny because, with the, first of all, the calisthenics scene is, is great, actually. It, yeah. It, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, and it is, it's funny that, that, that Sam would take the cue from Al about Jane Fonda, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go do this. Uh, but, but, yeah, the, then there's this moment where he gives him the laps. They see him talking to Al. Of course, they don't see Al. They, you know, they're all laughing at him. He's going to give him 15 more laps. Sam yeah. complains about it. It's like 15 after this. So it's like, he's, yeah, he's got to do like 45 laps. The other thing that's interesting to note about this is that the degree of sweatiness, which I'm sure is not real sweat, but sweatiness that Scott Bakula goes through in the different shots mm. is so incongruous. Like the forward shot when we see him walking with Al or sure. kind of jogging with Al, he looks so sweaty and like, oh, clearly he's been running laps. And then like the side shot that we see from the football player's perspectives, he looks like he's just stepped out of the shower or, you know, I, his hair is dry. He doesn't look sweaty at all. Um, and then, you know, there's one other shot where he looks like somewhere in between those two. Sure. I had noticed that something that, that I noticed that I remember like noticing this when I was a kid and I was wondering why, but I figured it out this time. He doesn't actually run on the track. He runs, runs yeah. he runs on the inside of the track and I figured out the logistical reason why to do that. Football cleats? No. Oh, okay. So uh, that may be one, yeah. but I think from more of a production standpoint, so they didn't have to uh, drag the, the dirt track after every take. Because after every take, Scott Bakula comes right. around the corner, he's leaving tracks, do that scene again. And the dolly would leave tracks, and they'd have to put down the track on yeah. the yeah, yeah, so yeah. do So do it on the inside, on the grass, you eliminate that problem. There you go. And then a lot 
cops are shorter. And then the, yeah, well that's that's why it always jumped out at me because like my my coaches in high school like if I tried running on the inside to make the laps a little bit shorter, right? Stuff like that would have earned me fifteen more laps. Yeah. And then so eventually practice is over and they're getting into the locker room and of course Sam is the last one to come in. Um, so 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 yeah, uh, you speak about like like the, like the secondary characters who make a strong impression. I don't think we have his name. Otto, yeah. yeah, like the big guy who had this moment like, hey, you know, where's where's Eddie? He's probably still running laps. He's gonna be running laps forever. Yeah. They're combing their uh, yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah. Otto's like, do you think I look like Elvis? And you know. And, and yeah, and Chewie gives him a hard time, and then it's hilarious because Otto leaves, and as soon as Otto leaves, Chewie just starts like trying to look like Elvis, and he starts singing, you know, Heartbreak Hotel. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and that's when Ruben comes in, yeah. and <clears throat> and yeah, so we get the setup. Yeah, the setup where Ruben reveals like, yeah, your mom's behind on rent. I'm gonna have to kick you out. Chewie, you know, he like, hey, you 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 bet on games, like like bet on me. I'm a sure thing. And Ruben's like, no, losing. It's gonna I make guess me more sure thing. Yeah. It was kind of Chewie's idea, wasn't it? Not so much Ruben's. Now that I think about it, it was it was Chewie's idea to bet for, on the game, to bet on right. the game, yeah. and to make up the money. But then it was Ruben's idea for him to throw, throw the, game the game because right, losing right. is easier to but predict. It seems like then. Ruben just kind of came in hoping to I don't know what intimidate this kid or something. I'm not sure because I don't think he necessarily was planning on. See, I, I guess I always figured like he was coming in to. Definitely to, to, to talk Chewie into throwing the game, mm-hmm. and Chewie just happened to bring it up before, bring up the idea of betting on the game. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, Chewie, at one point... As the best villains do, they make it feel like it's your idea. <laughs> but Chewie, Chewie has this moment where I think he's even on board with the fact that Ruben bets on the games. Like, it's like, hey, that's a great way to make money. Like, Chewie's all about, like, let's make money, bet on the game, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but again, it is, yeah, it, it, Chewie, of course, is, is like... Bet on me, I'm a sure thing, you know, and it's like, no, losing. And, 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 and then, of course, Sam comes in, and there's immediately the confrontation there, because Sam knows what's up. Yeah. And there's even the line where, where Sam tells Ruben, I thought you said to stay away, and then Ruben looks at Chewie, and he's like, does he tell you when to wipe your butt, too? Yeah. <laughs> and that's so, like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I would be thrown off if I even heard that line now on yeah. network television. But in 1990, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised that that line passed. Like, it got past the network and they were okay with that line. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you mean? Because it's... I, just I don't know. Like, childish. Like, I don't know. Like, any kind of... I don't know. I guess references just like that. I don't know. I don't remember, like, hearing... Things like that very, very much on TV. Maybe not on TV, but I definitely can recall countless times when I'd heard like, you know, oh, does he wipe your ass too? You well, know, I mean, so like, like, I mean, like, in, like everyday yeah. conversation, but to hear it on primetime network TV, sure, is what's, yeah, yeah, but in like film, but in film, I mean, it's sure, not, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so they have a fight in the locker room, which again, going back to what you know, what you both have actually talked about with you know the fact that he's a high school kid. It would have been a really great moment, and again, time-consuming, money, etc. But to get a mirror image, when you're in a locker room, there's mirrors there. To get a mirror image of the high school kid fighting this grown man, yeah. I think would have been a really cool thing to see. Yeah. And instead, it's just, you know, we see Al and him flipping over lockers, or Al, Sam and him flipping over lockers, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and fighting, and, you know, Sam's nose is all bloody, and, you know, so I mean, they've had this fight. It would have been kind of neat to, to, yeah. to see the high school kid. I'm not saying, I mean... If he's a if he's a quarterback, Eddie is probably pretty built, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. Sure, of physically confronting. No, you know, not at all. He seems kind of 
what Scrawny? Not Scrawny, but I don't expect Ru- that yeah. Ruben is. Yeah, Ruben's probably not been in a lot of fights, or if he has, no. he's not won a lot of them. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Unless so, you know he's pulling someone's hair. Yeah. So we. Uh, so yeah, we have the fight. We knock a bunch of lockers over, and that's when the coach shows up. Yeah. This is where I le- when the coach was like. He had some sense, and he was like, what the... You know, like, these are high schoolers. Like, what are you being a creep in my locker room? Like, get out of here. Because that would be weird if some random old man was just, like, in the locker rooms, and there's a fight, and you're clearly beating up my... Right. My kids, like, that... I felt like... You're twice as old as this kid. His reaction seemed very appropriate to me, like... Yeah. Well, and the the line that, that Chewie makes up that, you know... Ruben was actually delivering a message to me. They got into a fight because they liked the same girl. Oh, and, yeah. and the coach was like, aren't you a little old to be yes. dating yes. younger women? Or do you like older women, Vega? Yeah. <laughs> and the coach, the coach he, is, is, he's he a is, constant source of humor. He is like, chewing the scenery so... Yeah. The thing, it, it, it's... Uh, what, I, what I love about that actor's performance of the coach is that there were moments in high school football especially like at halftime and we were losing when the coach comes in because the, the team gets in the locker room before everyone else and we're just sitting around and we're, and we're already kicking ourselves because we're losing and then the coach comes in and he starts ripping a new asshole. Mm. I've been through more than one of most, those moments in my high school career and it's, it's, it's a weird thing because like even in the moment we all know it's theater. Mm-hmm. We know that the coach is angry. We don't. We know that he's not as angry as what he's putting on, but he's okay. got to put it on because he's the coach. And even though we know that, like we're kicking ourselves, so we're kind of down on ourselves. And he's yelling at us. And even though we know that it's part of show, like we have to do our part, and we have to be ashamed, and we have to be down ourselves even more because God help us if we were to not take the coach. Seriously, yes. In this moment, he's taking it so seriously. I I I remember uh, there was one particular game where uh, Coach Wicks, senior year, he we were down at halftime. He was absolutely reaming us out. I mean, he was just like veins popping out of his neck, out of his forehead. I mean, he was just losing his shit. And he pauses, and he spins around, and he calls us a name. And I know what he meant because he had used this name before. And what he meant to say is that we were all tiny pieces of feces that were futilely hanging on to ass hairs, (laughs) not knowing that our place in life is to just drop in the toilet bowl. That was the name that he was calling us. But what he shouted in anger Veins popping out of his neck are, you're all a bunch of Klingons! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting there hunched over, and I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, if I laugh, he will kill me. Oh, God. Send the Stovo core. (laughs) Yeah, so to bring it back to the episode, the coach is in that mode almost the entire episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, I I think it worked though because he was he was kind of a caricature. He was kind of over the top, but it was believable, and he really sold it. And like he had some really nice moments where I felt like he really does care about these kids. He really does have their backs. Like when 
I don't know. There was just a lot of genuine things that he also said that I just and, I sure. I mean, there look, there is a moment at the scene like, did you did you think about the consequences of of, of this? You could have busted right. your throwing hand. Yeah. A busted eye could have ruined your death perception. And and I just I'm just going to say this right now, as opposed to waiting until later. Overall, this is not a good episode of Quantum Leap. So it is important that we try to find these things <laughs> sure. that do kind of like stick out. It's like, that's nice. I like that. You I know, was it's, tickled by the coach. It's the same as like earlier when I was talking about the way that things are set up early. I'm not saying it's the best thing that you've ever, that's ever been done before, but just within the confines of this particular episode, it's something that stands out as being good. You know, mm-hmm. Sam's confrontation with Ruben stands out as being good. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, the, you know, the admonishment works, uh, you, you know, and then obviously we kind of get the, the inevitable follow-up with um, uh, Chewie uh, and, and Sam. With Sam saying, I know what you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Chewie's line, well, then don't throw the ball to me. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting, too, because it... it it really showed how... Conf- I felt a lot of conflict from Chewie. I felt yeah. like he yeah. did not want to throw the, the game. And he was going to try to do everything to, in Ruben's eyes, throw the game. But for that, his conscious... Consciousness... His guilty conscious? Whatever the word is. He would feel like he didn't actually throw the game. Yes. And so I thought that throw was... Throw the game without So at the end result, Ruben's happy and his mom is saved. But he doesn't actually have to... Do anything. It's more like lying by omission. I feel like he felt like yes. he was, he could get away with it better. In a way, to, I, to, I to not even show up for the game, right? In a way, I yeah. thought that was more interesting than if he was just like really intent on actually throwing the game and was trying actively to to throw it. And let's sure. just take a quick moment. I do want to just take a moment, actually, to talk about uh, Richard Richard Coca, who plays uh, Chewie. Uh, does a, does a really great job in the episode. I feel like you know, as, as far as the, the other actors that are kind of supporting, you know, Scott and Dean within the confines of this episode, that he's probably the one that stands out. Clearly, he gets the most to do. He's got the interesting conflict. He's got you know, I mean, so that that certainly helps. I also want to take a moment to just talk about a television show that uh, he starred in before Quantum Leap, called Sanchez of Bel Air. And I shit you not, if you look Sanchez of Bel-Air up, it basically looks like the premise of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, only with a Chicano family as opposed to a black family. Uh, it aired It aired in 1986, so it's pre-Fresh you know, Prince, but the name of the show indeed was Sanchez of Bel-Air. He played a character named Miguel Sanchez. Uh, instead of being sent out to live with his aunt and uncle, it's his entire family. They move to Bel Air because his father has, has become wealthy. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, fascinating thing that I turned up uh, on the internet. But he, he had a very interesting career because it seemed like he did a lot of stuff from about 84 all the way through until about 1994 or so. And then uh, it seemed like his career slowed down quite a bit. He wasn't doing quite as a lot. And, and uh, for IMDb, anyway, I can't find anything uh, film television-wise past 2013. Um but yeah, I, I think he does. I think he does a great job in the episode. So shout out to him. Um, also, one quick note about the coach, uh, the actor who plays the coach, uh, Robert Benedetti, is a Chicago native, born here in Chicago in 1939. So uh, yeah, he's been around, been around a while. For sure. Yeah, I'm looking up uh, other actors uh, from this episode that we kind of skipped over the usual thing. Yeah, uh, Ruth Britt, who played uh, Celia, I believe. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, she was in a few episodes of MacGyver. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually miscellaneous crew, and what about Bob? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, 
that's a movie I've never seen all the way through, I'll be honest. But Pepe Serna, who plays Manuel, he's the one that has the most extensive career, still working today, tons of, like, there's probably, like, eight or nine things that are listed on his pages, either filming or post-production, so, I mean, he's, he's had a, quite a prolific career, uh, as far as any sort of standout things, I didn't necessarily find anything specifically that I was like, oh, he did this, or he did that, uh, but yeah, lots of film, lots of television, um, you know, has, has, has been around for, for a while, um, and then, uh, you know, going to Ruben real quick, Fausto Barra, who plays Ruben, uh, he died in 1994, actually. Don't know what the circumstances were, so his career obviously stops there. Um, but, you know... For it, now. It had had... No. <laughs> 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 I have no idea what that means. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that, that kind of covers the, the bulk of, 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 of the cast, as, as we do like to talk about a little bit here and there. But... Um, so yeah, so at this point, you know, Chewie's like, don't throw the ball to me. And then, of course, we get the most painful football montage in the history of football montages, which is saying something because there's a lot of them. It's, the I mean, music it's, is terrible. It's uh, awful. It was boring. It was so boring. Yeah, it did nothing to raise the stakes of the tension of the, the scene. Music made me want it, it, it was yeah. awkward because obviously they were using stock footage that they were intercutting. And so it's an interesting challenge to... to uh, to try to create like an interesting football action so montage bad. on a television budget. Um, kudos for the effort. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, and for for an episode of uh, you know of television that at the time they never expect anybody to go back and watch critically, it works. We we get we Does it? <laughs> we it works. We 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 get the highlights. We get. Uh, Chewy catching a great pass, and then his leg being hurt, his knee being hurt, taking himself out of the game. Um, right. So, that, yeah, let's talk about that real quick. I think it's interesting that that's the way that Chewy finally decides to stop doing it. Because, A, Sam is not going to stop throwing the ball to him, and he realizes yeah. that. And so, and so, yeah, so Chewy, he figures he's got to do something. So, yeah, he goes down and, you know, and starts complaining, so he's got to come out of the game. Uh, in a way, it, it is, I mean... Clearly, it's going to hurt him, no pun intended, because there's scouts there, sure. etc. Yeah. They're going to lose the game. But in a way, it is sort of a smart way to get himself out without having to explicitly, like, you know, it's not like an eight-man out where the guy drops, like, four, you know, pop flies to the outfield or whatever. You know what sure. I mean? It's not, like, yeah. obvious, like, well, clearly that guy was not actually, you know, trying to play the game. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a way for him to just get out of the line of fire, if you will. Yeah. Um... So, so, so some thoughts on this scene is like watching it. It's like one, he's possibly ruining Eddie's career too. Yeah. Because of like, if they're a team, mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure. It's not Eddie throwing the game. It's not Eddie playing badly, but if Eddie can't shine and throw great pass after great pass to a star wide receiver, right. That might hurt his chances with, with scouts. You don't know. Oh, totally. But, yeah, I mean, but you do find out that in the original history, Eddie did go on mm -hmm. to to have a football career. So, right, that well, for what it's worth. And that's something else that we kind of glanced over. One of the cool things that gets shown early on is that uh, Chewie clearly has an interest in like medicine. Like he's basically you know looking to see if Sam has a concussion after he gets hit and you know in the very yeah. first scene and everything. And that's one of the things that that, that yeah. you know he's gonna wants to go to be a doctor. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so there's, there's some stakes here, obviously, but again, mm -hmm. they, the game's just so damn boring. Uh, one of the other things that's great about this particular scene, though, and it is, it is actually worth noting, is we get 
one of potentially the coolest moments in the history of Quantum Leap. And that is when Al comes in and starts talking about Super Bowl 30 and about how the Steelers are down by three. First of all, it does one thing which is huge. It specifically places Al in January of 1996. Yep. So the project is six years in the future of the time in which this episode airs. Yeah. So now we know. Project Quantum Leap, Mm -hmm. 1996. Which means Sam would have had to start started his journey in 1995 mm-hmm. most likely yeah um so that's when that's when the future For sure and there's a, a, actually to uh to go into further nerdery on that says the co-host of quantum Week podcast um one of the authors the author i can't remember her name but she wrote angels unaware yeah and the prologue to that book just as an aside it's not really part of the story i think it may actually do part of the story but she establishes sam's leap date as may 12th 1995 mm-hmm. Based around lines that Al makes about the Lakers in the playoffs mm, in the pilot episode. Nice. So even earlier, we do kind of establish. Right. Uh, I mean, j- just by chance. Uh, but yeah, it turns out in 1995, the Lakers were in the playoff games. It did go into overtime, as Al establishes. Which brings us to the the reason why this moment is cool mm-hmm. is because indeed Super Bowl thirty in 1996 the Steelers were indeed in the Super Bowl against the Dallas Cowboys and they were indeed at two points in the game down by three points yeah. including at halftime yeah so it's 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 one of those things where you're just like holy shit it's yeah. like oh and, my god yeah how did uh, that happen <laughs> and, and I said this off mic b- beforehand but when I was a kid I always thought that Al was just in present day yeah it never occurred to me that he was in the future and like. Super Bowl Thirty. I was like, oh, d- doing the math. I was like, oh, yeah, he's- right. And it's like I said, it's the first time that we get it firmly established as this is this is the year. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, other than that, it's a turd. Um, <laughs> so eventually, Sam gets this bright idea that uh, if if he takes himself out of the game, it's Al's idea. Al's idea. It, yeah. Well, right, and, and, and it is Al's idea. Sam gets the idea from Al. Uh, because they're such good friends, he thinks Chewie is going to want to come back in the game. Well, I, it seemed like two things. It was either Chewie's going to come back in the game because he doesn't want to ruin Eddie's chances, and he's he's going to think it's worth it to come back, or it, he feels like Ch- Eddie needs to just show um, support for Chewie. Yeah. Whether or not they end up coming back in. You know, they're that good of friends that he would... He, he would go down with him. Right. Well, and it, it's great because Al, you know, I mean, one of the, the reasons that Al brings to Sam about why this is going to work is because of Al and Sam's friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, because they're us, you know, and, 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 it, and it's a really great moment and it reinforces, you know, again, what I think is one of the most important parts of the entire series is the, is the friendship between Sam and Al. Um so, yeah, he takes himself out of the game. Chewie at first is like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and he's just like, well, you know, sitting out. If you're sitting out, I'm sitting out. And uh, eventually, of course, um, yeah. We, we do get a nice moment with the coach where uh, where Sam decides to sit out. And the coach is like, I've been waiting 32 years yeah. for this moment. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of pressure on those kids. Huh? Yeah, oh. <laughs> um, it works, and, and Chewie's like, I'll go back into the game, but again, he pleads with him, don't throw the ball to me. Yeah. Um, at this point, also, we should note that uh, Manuel has left the, the food truck to go up to the stand. I did make the note earlier, because at the start of the game, he's 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 working the food truck, yeah. and I'm like, 
it's his son high school championship game and he has to work. Right, right. But, <laughs> but, then, leaves, but then he does make it there. Yeah. yeah, he leaves the food truck and he goes into the stands with Celia and, and, and they're like, what's going on? And they don't know. They can't figure out what's happening either. But they get back into the game um, and immediately Sam calls a play, uh, you know, for, for Chewie to catch the ball. And, and you know, Chewie's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I, I, yeah. What are you sure, doing? No, we are. This is the last play of the game, right? Yes, yeah, final seconds of the game. So, so yeah, and, and so you know, Chewie's just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, what are you doing? And 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 Sam's basically like, hey, it's up to you if you drop it or not. Like I'm throwing to you, no matter what. Yeah, like it's your choice now. Um, and so they they go. Ruben, of course, is watching things closely. The pass happens. There's there's uh, obvious pass interference on Chewie. He gets hit before the ball's even there. Uh, it doesn't look like they're going to throw a flag. Time is run out. They throw a flag. They, they do indeed throw a flag. Of course, you know the rules are that game can't end on a defensive penalty. Yeah, uh, can end on an offensive penalty, which is important to note, kids. Mm-hmm. But uh, not on a defensive penalty. Jessica, and, are you totally in the dark? What's happening right now? Oh, I just fell asleep. Okay, <laughs> so 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 for those non-football fans out there, what pass interference is? It's a it's a it's a rule in football that if a wide receiver is going out for a pass, a defensive player cannot physically touch the wide receiver until the wide receiver has his hands on the football. If you touch them beforehand, if you tackle them preemptively, that is pass interference. The penalty for pass interference is the team, the offensive team, gets the football at the point that the player would have caught it had the play not been interfered with. Yeah. So since Chewie was pretty much at at the goal, uh, I can't think of the right term right now, since he was pretty much in the touchdown zone. In the end like, zone. Yeah, yeah, end zone, that's it. He was almost at the end zone. They get mm. the ball at the end zone, okay. giving them time for one more play. Yeah. And then, of course, that one more play, Sam, again, calls the pass to, to Chewie. The thing is, the coach wants the fullback yeah. blast that they call earlier, which is just like jumping over right. the thing and going in. It doesn't make sense for them to throw a long oh, of course not. pass in this one. No, it's, it's it's how the Seattle Seahawks lost the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't make sense, obviously. But again, I think it's just kind of to cement the fact that, you know, they need to do this for the scouts, etc. whatever, who cares. Point is, he throws the ball, Chewie catches it, they win the game, yay, yeah. yay, yay. But the thing, now that I'm thinking about it, that... That kind of screwed Chewy because had they done the fullback blast, which does not involve Chewy, right? Chewy could have gone to Ruben and said, "I did my best. Did you see me drop that last pass?" Right. I came back into the game so Eddie wouldn't be screwed over. I dropped that last pass. I tried the fullback blast. I didn't throw the game. Sure, sure, right. sure. By doing it the other way, Chewy totally screws Ruben over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I, I, I get you. I, 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 anyway, but it's not as, but it's not it's, as dramatic. It's not as dramatic, exactly. Uh, this, this final play uh, also very closely mirrors the final winning play of the great 1991 movie, Necessary Roughness, starring Scott Bakula. Indeed, and Sinbad. And Sinbad, yes. Oh, Necessary Roughness. And, and Kathy Ireland. Kathy Ireland. That is such a great bad movie. It really is. It really is. Anyway. Um, uh, proves that Scott Bakula can bring heart to anything. Yeah. Um, yes. So, so yeah, so then we get back to the victory party, and everybody's happy. Sam and Al are, are watching Chewie dance with Carla. Um, you know, Sam's wondering why he hasn't left yet. And then here comes Ruben with his movers. Yeah. And they start going into Celia's house to move everything out. and Throw know, it out in the street. Exactly. Uh, of course, they're trying to, you know, beg Ruben not to kick her out. Um, you know, Manuel even offers to pay Ruben the money 
that he owes him, but Celia refuses, saying that the money's for the restaurant. Um, he's like, restaurant can wait, and, and that you hate that idea anyway. Um, Cecilia thinks it would be better to buy yeah. more taco and then, trucks. And then, and then she throws out the idea, like, 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 no, like, like, I just think you should buy more taco trucks. We're watching that scene this morning, like, Betsy just, like, laughed out loud, <laughs> because this is such an awkward moment to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> right. Act. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, and it gets compounded by the fact that Al is like, yeah, she's right, actually, because she's right. Henry she's turns yeah. into a million dollar business, is, you know, but you got to finish the job first. And so it's just like, Jesus, we're getting, you know, we're getting a lot here. Gonna, yeah. And it, we, we had this 20 minute fucking football montage. We could have like, you know, anyway. What do you, yeah, fo- right. you think about the football <laughs> montage, Sam? Uh, so, so anyway, um, you know, Sam tells him to put everything in Manuel's yard, and we get one of the most awkward fixes that Sam ever does no, in the it history was so of the series. So awkward that I had to hide under the blanket. She did. She literally pulled the blanket over her head. I was like, nope, can't watch this. I'm not watching. This is so just. It felt so rushed and so no, it, 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 forced. Because he because he talked about this earlier. Be like, we do get hints dropped earlier on that man that Manuel and Celia do have feelings for yes, one another. Sure, but at no point in the episode do we see Sam right. noticing no, this. That, so. It was just the way we, it was done. Yeah, that made it just so cringeworthy, and the way he said it, and oh, oh man. So yeah, and so basically, because what he says is, put all of her stuff in our yard. Chewy, you can sleep in my room. What about my mom? She can sleep in bed with my dad. Yeah. It's like, what is that? Happening? Yeah, like, yes. Where do, what if she doesn't want to? But of course, you know, it, it, it's, you know, Manuel is just sort of like, if we were to get married, you know, it would solve, it'd solve her problems, but I don't know, that's not the right way to do it. And Celia's like, no, it wouldn't just be to solve my problems, it'd be because I love you, and then I love you too, and you know, whatever, it's fine. As their um, stuff is being taken out of their house. Yeah, and then, um, Al, of course, says, yeah. don't worry about it. They're going to survive along the way. Then he goes off to name the four children that the, they're the, going to yeah. have together. It, it is worth to note, like, uh, like even in the background, as they're having this conversation, you hear one thing shatter inside Celia's home. Oh, my God. Uh, so this is this is the kind of move out it was going to uh, be. Because right. they were already breaking shit. Yeah. And, 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 and let's not fail to mention, since we did bring it up earlier, it's it's like... Do we take the fact that Al's rattling off these four kids' names as like is this is this bad? Is this offensive? Is this stereotypical? Is this like is it, you know it's like how are we supposed to take this? Um, it seemed weird that they would still be they when they they didn't look. I mean, they have kids in high school. Right, they've got three kids between the two of them anyway. Right, like so they're probably already in their thirties. I'm, early thirties. I'm, I'm gonna rule that a touch. Racist? Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. yeah. I mean, but it's just weird in general. Even if it's anybody that you would have four more kids after your high well, school, they kids were going to be sleeping in the same bed. Well, we so. all know that. And then, <laughs> and then Sam also makes a weird comment to Chewy about like being Chewy says something like, "Wow, does that make sense?" or something. And he's like, "Well, because we'll be stepbrothers or something like that." I don't remember what he mm-hmm. says, but it was another really weird. Yeah, yeah. and I will say, thing. like, like. In defense of that line, there is a later episode where part of the resolution is you find out like all of the kids that this couple has as a result of the as a result of the good that Sam did. So it's kind of like a shorthand of like it worked out so right, well, so right? Happy. Right? They yeah. they they make a million dollars off their taco yeah. trucks. Now, they have kids. Sure. You guys now, go to college. Now that's not to mention like what weird changes in the timeline does Sam create? Like 
He creates four new people right. that yeah. did not exist before. And a million-dollar taco truck franchise. Let's not forget that. Yes. Uh, but to, to wrap up here, then, of course, Ruben, because he's a dirtbag villain and will always be a dirtbag villain, threatens to call immigration on Celia. And, of course, then Sam says it's, you know, it's a moot point because once they're married, my dad's a citizen, and once they're married, she'll be a citizen, too. Um Chewie hugs Sam, leaves to follow Celia and Manuel. Everybody's happy. Yay, rah, yay, rah. Then we get this great moment where Al looks at Sam and he's like, do it. Yeah. Sam turns to Ruben and he's like, roar, Jaguars, roar. Goes to pound him on the shoulders and leaps. And he leaps into, once again, Jesse Tyler. How many times does he leap into Jesse Tyler? No. But, but the leap out... Color Truth is a very popular episode. It was. He leaps into Jesse Tyler a lot. So, so yeah. So, he, the leap out does actually go into Color of Truth as opposed to the next episode, which will be her charm. Uh, well, the next episode that, that right. we get to as opposed to the next episode that necessarily aired chronologically. Um, yeah. God. Yeah. It's to, not a to, good episode. To, to jump back, there is uh, one moment that... Betsy brought up this morning watching the game like watching like the game montage she was like so let, let me get this clear because I'm still confused Sam is physically there playing the game right like he's not in the body of a high school kid he a man in his late 30s yeah. is playing a football game yeah yes how is he not dropping dead of a heart attack <laughs> well I would argue A that there are plenty of quarterbacks including let's face it arguably still the best quarterback in the game Tom Brady who's 40 years old now playing granted he he also gets a lot of benefits from, you know, the training that he does, and I'm sure there's some other things along the way. But that said, it's like, Sam's in good shape. He's sure. good health. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and don't send me your hate mail. I don't like the Patriots. I don't even really like Tom Brady. I just think that you get to a certain point where it's like, how can you argue with with greatness and success? So, there. Sure. Anyway, um, that said, yeah, I mean, he's in good shape. He's in good health. We saw him, you know, kick the shit out of a couple of people in another mother. Like... I, I, I think it's clear that he's taking those hits. Like, the hits hurt. Like, he's not he's not springing back up like a 16-year-old well, boy. Uh, like, I'm I mean, good. <laughs> do they do they show Sam getting sacked a lot during No, that? they don't. No. And the thing is, like, yeah, they try to avoid, yeah, yeah. Him, him taking hits at all costs. I right. mean, I'm, I know he studied, and I know he's, he's a smart person, but, like, I feel like I can understand the concepts of football, but, like, I don't think I could play it just, like, out of nowhere. Like, I'm... You know, even, I mean, like, because Betsy was looking at it from the physical things, but even, like, earlier, like, when he was, like, cramming, like, learning all the plays. Yeah. Right. Like, even, because, you know, time travel nerd, I've done, like, the thought exercise before. Like, if I ended up back in high school at certain moments. Right. Like, if I ended up back in my high school career and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a high school football game. <clears throat> yeah. I remember right 28 because I was horrible at that particular play. But, like, if all of a sudden, if I'm being told, like, what play to play in a, in a game, I'd be like, oh. Yeah. Well, and if you've never played before either, I'm sure there's a lot of nuances. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just, like, um, passing. Yeah. How do you yeah. even throw the thing? I mean, I guess well, maybe he's tossed a football around, but maybe and, not. And one of the things that everyone says, and it's different for high school, we're not talking about NFL, but one of the things that a lot of people say is that the the biggest difference from people who like think they know about football and haven't stepped on the field is the speed of the game. And again, high school is completely different from college or NFL. They even talk about how like high school, the adjustment from high school to college and college to NFL, it's but Ed, the thing that you always hear people talk about is speed of the game, speed of the game, speed of the game. From each level jumping up is that it's different. And so you do kind of wonder, it's like, man, yeah, he does he he clearly does pick it up quickly enough to be able to to get those passes off. But again, we do see him struggling. It's not like it's not like he's a star quarterback, you know, it's, yeah. I think Eddie is probably a 
better football player than Sam is, sure. clearly. But and maybe he played before and he was just relearning, like you said, mm-hmm. rememorizing the the plays or learning their specific language for the plays so he could, you know, come across knowledgeable. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I it would be interesting. I'd also say it would have been a very tedious episode for Sam to learn how to play football. Right. It's not sure. about that. Yeah, exactly. It's not like right hand of God where he's got to learn how to box. Yeah. Yeah. So, couple one quick note that I do want to make, actually, that I just found out. Apparently, one of the stock footage scenes from the party exterior is actually from the film La Bamba. How about Good that? Good to know. Yeah, right? Okay, because I know they had to be using stock footage. And, it, like, the football game, they were using a lot of stock there footage. There was I, one shot where it was, like, the stands. Uh, I remember we were both like, whoa, what was that? Because it almost was, like, a different cut, like... Al and some other cheerleader or something were in the front. Yeah, and then there was like the back, and I was like, totally you, you, I mean, you could, I mean, you could definitely tell like the like the shots where and even more so on the Blu-ray. Yeah, I mean the footage. You, it, yeah, really, there's a difference. I mean, I mean, I mean, you could tell like 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 doing the close-up shots. Like you have like the huge stands of the bleachers, and then you have the bleachers more. We're looking at Manuel. Yeah, uh, Manuel and, and Celia when he shows up late to the game. Yep. When we're looking at Ruben and, and the guy that he's betting against. Yeah. Uh, later on, like you can definitely tell like what the close-up. Shots are, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and and I think that you know one of the things also just to, for a quick technical point to some of our listeners that may not know this um, that one of the reasons why it is so jarring to see that stock footage with the other footage, even though this has been remastered, is because they're taking a piece of film and inserting it into a show that while probably put on film was probably transferred to videotape before it aired. Mm -hmm. So when the remaster occurs, they're able to remaster obviously the original elements of Quantum Leap. Sure. They can't remaster that stock footage because they don't have the original negatives of the stock footage. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why it looks so jarring, even more so on Blu-ray, because that Quantum Leap footage that was shot for Quantum Leap has been remastered and it's beautiful. That stock footage they can't remaster because they don't have the original in order to remaster it. So they're remastering a copy, basically, and it doesn't, it's not going to yeah. match. The thing is about it, it, no matter what, it never bugs me uh, on no. Quantum Leap. With, with it being a time travel show, like the intermixing with what they've actually shot with stock footage, to me, it, it's almost like an artistic choice, since we, are, since we are watching a time travel show and this does take place in the past, and when you... Look at stuff in the past. There's always that that, sure. that older that older look of film. It it never bothers me. No, and I would certainly argue that even up to now, this is probably the most jarring piece of stock footage that I've seen in the context of the show. Honestly, mm-hmm. mainly because other times when we see it, it's not it. Like for instance, in the pilot, you know, seeing the stock footage of, of the planes and stuff, it. It's not quite as jarring because it's like, here's footage of the flight, here's footage of Sam in the cockpit. Like, you know, whereas this is like supposed to be the football game. So it's just weird to all of a sudden see this weird image of like, sure, what? I didn't, these cheerleaders are wearing red, they were wearing white, are they the same cheerleaders? Are the other team's cheerleaders? Have we seen the other team's cheerleaders? The stands look weird, the sky looks different, just everything about it was just very jarring. So so I think that that was was noticeable. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, I know I've said it enough, but I'm going to say it one more time. It's just not a good episode. I'm sorry. It's it's not a good episode of Quantum Leap, and that's unfortunate because there are some good elements. I think actually talking about the episode, I've enjoyed more than watching the episode. Like, And I don't mean to say that I enjoy hearing us talk about the episode. I mean to say that 
our conversation has made me enjoy the episode more than actually watching sure. the episode. Sure. <laughs> I was like, yeah, watching it, uh, I watched it yesterday and then I watched it again this morning because I was kind of distracted yesterday because my son was homesick from daycare and so I was like mm-hmm. trying to take care of him and watching the episode. There are problematic elements to it, like like how like how much of a show on like Mexican culture, like how much of that stereotypical, the problematic lines that Al has, but then like retalking about it now, it's like again looking at it through the lens of nineteen ninety television. This was a decent episode of television, sure. And I think Al's lines are probably the thing that I would point to being the most egregious things that are done. Because sure. one thing that I will say that this that that probably those opening scenes with the party and stuff, where maybe some of those things could be offensive or stereotypical. I think that again, and I'm speaking just as a white dude that doesn't know that culture very well. Uh, that looking at that, I don't find anything that's stands out to me as being offensive. And one of the reasons why I think is because there are no white people in that scene who are drawing attention to the fact that this is a Mexican gathering block part. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like this is just what these people do. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing that makes me like immediately go like, wow, that's really stereotypical and offensive. Mm-hmm. But that said, it very well could be. I'm just saying that nothing blatantly stands out to me because we're seeing, you know, we're just seeing these people have a good time. There's nothing that says, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't say, like, like I, I, there's no reason why these couldn't be a group of any, you know, particular sure. ethnicity or culture or whatever. So, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, listeners, if you have your thoughts on this, yeah, please, hit us up. Please do let us know. Thank you up. again uh, to Jeff, to, 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 to Rosen, to Russell. All you guys have given us some great comments. Actually, we, I want to talk real quick about a comment that Russell made that I think is very interesting. We were talking about the Confederate flag thing uh, and about how we had um, Oh, how it stuck an out in an animal frat. Yeah, yeah. this is the first time we've recorded since then. Yeah, and so and so Russell actually did bring up the point that there that, that for him, you know, he, he was not... Um, Russell's in his early 50s. Yeah. So and, he's, and, he's slightly and, older than us. Right. And so basically he, he was familiar with the fact that the Confederate flag had, had been used or it had been hung, you know, maybe in a college dorm or something like that. And it hadn't been because it was, you know, yay Confederates, yay racism, yay white power. It was just because, like, that's a cool image of rebellion. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, that's just sort of like, oh, I had no idea. And and in all fairness to Russell, I, I don't want anybody to, like, come out and be like, well, he's bullshitting you or anything like that. It wasn't like it was coming from some sort of place where he felt like he needed to defend the flag at all. It was no, just no. Him just kind of observing, like, saying, like, you know, I I think that this is just some one of the ways yeah. that we took it. Yeah, because if you haven't, because Animal Frat, there's a, a Confederate flag draped over a couch, and we... And we In Starcraft, yeah, there's yeah, a Yeah, and we threw out the idea that it just seemed kind of, like, lazy set dressing. Right, right. And, and one of the characters is from the South, so naturally there has to be this flag or whatever. Sure, yeah. So it was just, it was it was an interesting piece of discussion, an interesting point that he brought up, and uh, and I think that, you know, it's entirely possible, logical, would make sense that yes, of course, there are people that, that would never think anything of it, because I have seen, like, the mascot of the rebel before, and, and never once did I think to myself that it was a symbol of this. And again, that's not me trying to defend it at all, it's just that I do think that there were probably people out there that genuinely never saw it as a symbol for that. I think we've corrected that. Not, not corrected might be the wrong way to put it, but I think that these days it's it's inseparable, you know, and I think that it I has think become... I people are aware now that the symbol doesn't mean the same. It doesn't just mean a rebel thing. There's, right. It's got connotations that you are maybe implying that you might not want to be implying if you're putting it up, maybe you don't care, but right. Because I guess that's the other thing too. It's just like the way that, that, that these people might look at it and take it, it honestly gets negated when you understand that there are people out there that see that and are hurt by it. 
and I think that that's kind of the point. Um, but it was it was an interesting point of view, so we do appreciate that, Russell, to, to kind of think about it like, oh yeah, you know, of course. In, in, in 1970, maybe nobody was thinking that, you know, in 1970, maybe they were just sort of like, yeah, we're rebels and counterculture and whatever, you know, uh, nowadays, not so much. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so we thank you again for your feedback. We look forward to more, uh, apologize if I missed anybody that sent us some stuff because we've gotten quite a few comments recently. So again, thank you for that. Um, again, we also recorded an interview with Matt Dale, the author of Beyond the Mirror Image, The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. Yeah. Uh, you may have already heard it or you may not have. Yeah. Depending <laughs> on what you said here. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in more information, we always include, uh, the link to, to buy the book online in our show notes. Yeah. Uh, I recently, I went back to all of our previous episodes, including them and all the show notes. So look in the show notes of any episode that you're listening to and you can find yeah. more, more information. And on you that. can just, yeah, or you can just Google the title, uh, or, or, or put it on, you know, search it on Lulu cause that's where it's available. Absolutely worth it. I literally feel like anybody who is a fan of quantum leap should have this book. I, I'm not shilling for Matt. I don't make a dime off of it. Nope. I'm just saying it's, it's that good. It's totally worth it covers the whole scope of the series, the novels, the comic books, the what ifs, the, you know, the proposed reboots, etc. tons of information. There's, there's, you could literally pick it up, flip to any page and you'll find out something that you probably either didn't know or, or revisit something that you're, you're, you know, you're glad that you do know, whatever. Uh, Jess, do you have any final thoughts about all Americans? Oh, I don't know. It was a two-star episode, I guess for me. It wasn't a topic that I would necessarily find super fascinating. I thought... Ruben was oh, really cheesy, and the coach was fun, and there was some interesting stuff about it, but on a whole, I kind of felt like it was a snooze fest. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that why you didn't talk a lot this episode? <laughs> well, you guys talk a lot, so... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thank you. Sorry. Thank you for being Th- on Thank you show. for joining us. You're and, and listeners, join us again uh, next week for yeah. Her Charm. And if you fast-forwarded to this bit to just get Jessica's take, I think you really know all you need to know about all Americans. So thank you, Jessica, for your capsule well, review. I'm a little more succinct than others might be. You are. Yeah. Two out of five or two out of ten stars, just out of curiosity. Oh, five. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's not terrible. A little bit. Yeah. Anyway, as Dennis was saying, thank you guys so much. We're going to leap out of here. We look forward to uh, chatting with you about her charm. Um, and we've got a, a you know good lineup of episodes coming up, getting us into the the twilight of the second season, if you will. So, indeed. indeed. All right, have a good week. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. No